to Grog Talk, episode 11. I'm James. I'm Dan. So, uh, you know, another week has passed uh, after uh, Gary Khan, and um, so, you know, we're kind of, uh, actually, very soon we're going to have our first meeting about uh, uh, Grog Khan at, at Crucible, which is very exciting. I think it's finally starting to get some motion there, so I'm excited about that. And um, so things are happening, and um, anything else exciting today, this week, that we need to talk about before we uh, No, nothing, nothing I can think on, 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 on the D&D front now. I'm sorry. Well, that's all right. Well, today, we're, you know, every podcast, every group has to talk about it. So we're going to talk about alignment. So if you know what alignment is, uh, play along. If you don't know what alignment is and how, uh, how it's used, how it came to be... Um, then this is the this is the topic for you. So um, this is one of those most hotly contested. If there is a hotly contested topic mm-hmm. within uh, Dungeons and Dragons, and again, I don't know if this was a uh, if it was an invention of Dungeons and Dragons, and because again, I don't you know my history doesn't go all the way back to original D anD. d but, uh, you know, I did read some magazines to prepare for this and also, uh, you know, how, how I've used it. So why don't we talk about what alignment is? Okay. And I believe, right, in the old days, before the old days, mm-hmm. as if first edition wasn't the old days. Okay. okay. Can, for us. Prehistoric days. Right, right, time. right. I believe it was just, it was Law and Chaos were the two, right? Because you read, like, Border, and that was, right? Right. And, and basic was that way too, I think. Or maybe it was just basic. It was long chaos, but that's right. Back in the day, it was um, like you said. It was the law, neutral, and chaos. If I remember correctly, yeah. those were the, those were the choices. But but you right. But you asked me to give it a definition of alignment. So alignment is your character's outlook on the world, their morality, their ethos, uh, and right. Two, thing, two divisions. First, are you good, neutral, or evil? And then are you uh, chaotic, lawful, or neutral? Mm-hmm. And you can have any combination of those two. And so, right. Right? Lawful, evil, chaotic, good, etc. And the only thing you can be one of is neutral. Right. Because you're right. And you can't be you're neutral, neutral, neutral. You just be neutral. Right. Well, I think, are you neutral, neutral, and you just... Because it sounds so bad, right? It's twice as twice as neutrality, say, right? I'll, I'm better than Switzerland. I'm double neutral, right? So how many alignments? There are nine. There are nine. There are nine in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and in the previous version, there was three. It was Law, and um, you know the. I guess it came from uh, uh, the history came from uh, some fantasy novels, Moorcock, or one of those where they talked about there was. Forces of law and forces of chaos. That's how it originally started, is my understanding from from that. You know, generally law kind of fell into what we would consider good, first open quote, and chaos would generally. But more about law was imposing order and civilization, and chaos was about um, the wild and freedom and these type of things. And that was the original amount. Because, again, uh, it wasn't a whole lot. 
the the premise of the original game was you're dungeon delvers. You didn't have to worry about all those other things. I think initially, but I think quickly it's had to move into more nuanced versions. What were you going to say, Sam? Oh, you can. You know, so you know me well enough. You saw. You saw the look on my face. So, I, I was about to say. I think there may have been something about this idea that chaos is actually evil. Right. <laughs> so it's in terms of how things are actually played. But we we could talk about that later. Uh, and so uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about how alignment is selected because players get to they uh, except for restrictions on the type of class they are, right? Which may have some constraints on it. Characters get to pick their alignment when they create their character, right? That's right. So, um, during the process, if you recall, when we first set ours up, uh, Pixie and Glade, um, on page 33 of the Player's Handbook, after you generate your abilities and you select your race and class, this would be the next thing that you would do. And, and it's, again, some classes require a certain alignment, because the idea... And, and class and alignment is this idea you're, you're almost trying to uh, follow an archetype of a, a certain role you know when you think of Sir Galahad you think of uh, a questing knight holy knight for and that's what we attribute to a paladin and a paladin is, is virtuous has a code of chivalry and tries to seek what's doing good code is lawful Doing good is good, so hence lawful good. So on page 33, you see the nine alignments as they are determined. Um, and it's interesting because the challenge already starts at the bottom. Naturally, there are variants and shades of tendencies within each alignment. These descriptions are generalizations only. And um, a character can be basically good in its true neutrality or tend towards evil. It is possible that your campaign referee, here's another opportunity to monitor and measure performance. Yeah. Which I knew you were very excited about. We'll keep a graph of, of the drift of your character on the alignment chart. This is affected by the actions or desires of character in the course of each adventure and will be reflected on the graph. You may find that these actions are, are such as to cause a declared alignment to shift towards or actually to some other. And then it's so... And what he's talking about, a chart, which is very exciting... So on page 119 of the Player's Handbook, I'm holding it up for those on the, on the uh, live stream, is this actual chart which shows the nine uh, alignments and, um, and that their general idea of lawful good being uh, saintly, chaotic evil being demonic. So in, in Dungeons & Dragons, devils and demons do not serve a, a similar master. They're, they're Denzians of, of a different uh, organization. So demons are considered chaotic evil. Devils are considered lawful evil. So this is where the confilation... Confilation? Conf, what's the word? When you well, conf, you're conf, well I, think, I think that's right. You're conflating. Right, right. conflating of... Uh, our own religions into Dungeons and Dragons. So, you know, again, we don't, uh, the religions of today don't uh, say that demons and devils, are, they, they, they're part of the same thing here. They don't know they're separate. So, well, I think it's interesting about devils being lawful evil is there is a saying uh, that uh, you always get due process in hell, which I think sort of lines up with that, right? right. You, you will. I mean, it's not going to be arbitrary. Right. You'll get your trial. That's right. It's going to determine what happened. It's just that, you know, the rules are 
pretty crappy rules. Right. And the punishments are probably really severe, but it's not that they're not following the rules. So, yeah, if we were going to, you know, that's always one of the most fa- fun games. If I'm sure if you go online, you see, you know, who's what, uh, what alignment, you know, this, this character in uh, a movie is clearly this alignment. <laughs> so clearly the judicial system is lawful evil is what I'm hearing. <laughs> no, no, in hell. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. You always have to process in, in hell. I just thought in general. No, 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 uh, no, 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 it, no, in hell. Uh, are you sure about that? Yeah. So, so, it, so this chart is, in, so in theory, you have two things as a dungeon master. You are to track your every session. After the session is over and everyone's gone home, you as a dungeon master are supposed to sit there and ponder and go, hmm, Glade, a performance, hmm, satisfactory. Uh, he's, uh, she is, what, chaotic good, if I remember correctly? I can find out. That sounds right. I think she is. Yeah, she, she's the uh, ranger. Yes, she's, be the good. Ranger. So. she's the ranger. So she's chaotic good. So let's see. Chaotic good. Chaotic yes, good. chaotic good. While creatures alignment view freedom and the randomness of actions as ultimate truths, they likewise place value on life and the welfare of each individual. Respect for individualism is also great. By promoting the gods of chaotic good, characters alignment seek to spread their values throughout the world. So, so was, she, was she promoting individualism? Was she concerned about the goods of others? That's what you're supposed to do. And then you're supposed to sit here and go, put a dot, and then yeah. move based. To sh- and so um, the idea is, uh, so I think it recognizes some reality in that people's morals, uh, they may have some world, you know, it's a worldview. And you have, uh, you have some prescribed ideas, and then reality hits, and it may shift a little bit based on the circumstance. And the circumstance... Um, and that uh, it's tested based on those circumstances, and you can either ascribe to it or you start moving towards another one, and then ultimately, um, if you continue to behave that way, you're not, you'll switch alignment. You're not a ranger anymore. That's, that, that could be. So that that's so. Let's talk about the actual consequence, potential consequences of right. doing that. Right, because there are some character classes that you, like we said, require. A certain alignment. So, and and part of it is, and this is you know, this is very first edition too. If you want these benefits, uh, there are some restraints on them. And so, you know, the the ranger and and what's some of the other ones that we know of? Well, paladin, of course, would be the most right. Would be right. Paladin is the most or assassin. The opposite is the assassin. That's right. Both require an adherence to it. I have some information for you. Uh, you're no longer paladin. That's the bad news. The good news is, based on your alignment shift, you're an assassin. Right. Your fighter then became assassin. <laughs> you're basically an assassin. Right. So yeah. No, um, basically, you are. Yeah. And um, so there. And and so Luff, Yeah. The paladin is the one that probably has the most uh, ink or uh, things on the internet that talk about how you deal with situations and and whether the dungeon master has dis- deemed that the pa- the, the paladin. Has- has done something so egregious that they've lost their... Yeah, because that's, that's the one. That, so Paladin has to be lawful good. Do I have right. that correct? So, that is correct. So is that the only character class that has both a law and chaos requirement and a good and evil requirement? It has to be just one single alignment, right? I mean, right. thieves can be evil. They can be 
neutral. They can even be neutral good. Right. Well, the druid. No, I'm sorry. The druid has to be druid neutral. Also, so the druid's the druid other has one. to be neutral neutral. Right. That's so right. so the druid, true neutral. There is no neutral neutral. I'm just teasing. Do you know the other? I just saw this. So the other name for true neutral? What? Absolute neutral. Absolute neutral. I so, like that. Um, so the druid and the paladin have to, you, you got to monitor pretty closely. I, I think the paladin more so. It's probably easier to be neutral. You know, I mean, I think the druids are okay as long as you, you know, you complain when the tree's getting cut down. Well, that's that, it. you're just not caring. You're like, ah, good, evil, let me shove a little bit of both. Um, well, and that is that is the rub, is when you take these things and you read them and go, hmm, okay, that kind of makes sense. and, and uh, Or you try to ascribe them to uh, things you've read or movies you've mm-hmm. seen. You go, okay, well, uh, again, Sir Galahad, lawful good. I get the idea, loyalty to the king, loyalty to the code. I get I, it. It's when you try to do it in practice, you know, again, true neutral, what is a druid? Um, you know, is he an environmentalist? Is he? A, is that the limit? Or is, is, could she be considered an eco-terrorist? You know, because, mm-hmm. um, you know... Oh, that'd be good. Right. That'd be fun to play a druid who's an eco-terrorist. Right, exactly. Why, if, if all they, you know, neutral... Uh, they want to. They want to do the status quo. They could be considered preservationists. You know, when mm-hmm. good, maybe when uh, quote unquote good human populations start encroaching the forest, they're just as easily to attack them as they are to attack mm-hmm. the orcs who are coming out of the mountains. Um, there could be know. a whole campaign with just everyone's a druid. They're like eco terrorists, and they're going yeah. and they just go after everyone. That'd be pretty interesting. And you know. Um, where does na- nature will prevail and keep things as they were meant to be, provided the wheel surrounding the hub does not become unbalanced due to forces, unnatural forces such as human or other intelligent creatures? So, you know, do you start slaughtering, uh, you know, the, the poor people that come into the village? Do you threaten them the first time if they don't leave? You kill them? Or? This is a, this is the campaign I want to run. So it's good is prevailing. And this bothers a group of druids. Right, okay. So they're off to, like, they're, they're hooking up with the orcs. Yeah. Exactly. To, uh, to you know, get some days like, this is too, too much good. The balance has shifted. That's right. The, the good has won, <laughs> and there's only a handful of orcs. Yes. Left. And the druids were originally with them, but now, like, uh-oh, this is... We not. overdid it. We were too successful. Right. Oh, here we go. That has to be a real struggle. And how do they know? <laughs> this, and here, now, I'll, I'll bring up... Oh, they know. Well, relative versus absolute. Maybe in that area... Mm-hmm. It's overpopulated with good, but maybe on the cosmic scale, right? They're not. So, what level? No, I know it'd be great. Is that good has prevailed in this area? And this bothers them. So what they do is they slaughter this village of good people, and then they start expanding out, and they realize actually the whole rest of the place is evil, and they destroy the last good. Ah, that's a great story. Isn't I, it? I think you like that. I like that. <laughs> and then they have to find the last good person, right? And and, and well, and I guess. Procreate. Well, or convert, you know, actually, oh. some of them, or they have to choose, some of them have to become good, be, stop becoming druids so they can continue moving forward. Yeah, I really, oh, this, there's a lot of tension in this. I, I like that. So, so I, I think it that would be, be great. A, it should be a short story I could write. Okay. But that's, that is the, ch- that is the challenge, right? What does, I mean, neutral is really hard, um, depending on how you do it. There's a couple other alignments that, again, they make sense, but they're really hard to play because you could go the neutral, I don't care about anything. Uh, I could almost be very flippant, uh, you know, whatever I think the balance is, or, you know, you could kind of see, oh, I'm a nature person, and I consider, I'm 
you know, I worship nature and I care about that. And let's and, and so my you know my recollection is most player characters. I shouldn't say most, but if if there's one alignment which people play more than the others, I think it is chaotic neutral. And I think well, only sophisticated. I don't want to say seasoned players play either. Oh. It's interesting. I, I find new players yeah. or seasoned players. who oh, yeah. Seasoned players who want to play the game, they're not interested in role play. Yeah, right. They want, right. They want, they want to have fun in the moment. Right. They don't want to think about constraints on what they can do in the game. They, they want to have fun as they're playing it. Um, so, uh, you know, my, my sense is that for most players... Alignment is not taken terribly serious, and, and again, it's it's how you play the game, and it's right. not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but um, you know, you have an alignment, and it doesn't come up that much. Um, so I, I really think at the beginning of your campaign, you want to have a discussion about how seriously alignment is going to be taken. Be, are, are you going to have consistency alignment amongst the party? Because it's you know, it's not uncommon to have a party that has very disparate alignments. You know, you've got good with you've got a, you know a lawful good and a chaotic neutral, and it it really never causes any issues because players aren't really playing alignment very much. And again, it's whatever you want to do. If you want to take alignment real seriously, go for it. I think the the last thing you want to do is have a group of players who don't want to take alignment terribly serious and have it be real constraining, and a DM who is trying. To take it quite seriously, yeah. and, and is pulling out the graph and waving the graph around. Yeah, I've, have you, you've never used a graph. I've never used a graph. What I thought so. My sense is that, like most things, people want a happy medium. So, most groups, it seems to me, probably are going to land somewhere where the it's not taken terribly serious. But if there is an egregious transgression or consistently a player character playing alignment differently, it will be called out by the DM. So I remember, you know, when um, Edward, who was DMing uh, the group at one point, there was a paladin, and the paladin, and I think the paladin, the paladin was just joking around, you know, talking about, you know, cutting someone's throat because they were annoying and all this. And, and in all honesty, I don't think that the player was, was indicating... I don't know. It's more disturbing. The paladin, they're playing... I'm well, yeah, right, right. So I, I don't know who the conversation needs to be for. But, and you know, Ed, it, I thought Ed handled it very well. What Ed did was he called a timeout on the game and went out and he said, look, you're a paladin. You know what's going. Well, you know what's going. I just sort of reminded the player right. that you're a paladin. You know, you, you can you can cut throats, but it should probably be of evil thing, not because someone just is annoying to you. Um, and so I think that's probably the way it would be handled most of the time. I don't know if, if you I, have you ever had to have a conversation with a player. Oh yeah. Well, you shouldn't say have you had to because have you and then did you yes. have a conversation with a player about transgressions of alignment? I've I've had to have I've had to have uh, both, and I think you know the challenge is um, the you know, the misalignment between how the dungeon master ascribes the expectations of alignment and the player's expectations of alignment, and. Um, you know, you try to uh, because again, if you read what uh, are in the books here, there are discussions about very what we would consider, tr- you know, very trivial acts causing significant issues. Um, 
you know, particularly on the Paladin, if they, you know, they cannot interact with neutral players in more than one adventure. Right. They're not supposed to associate with evil characters. Well, from a practical perspective, that's very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, so right off the get-go, someone wants to play a thief who's neutral or chaotic neutral, Paladin. Someone else wants to be a Paladin. Right there, we've got one character imposing their will on the other ones because of the fact of their alignment. And so... Uh, I've had so I, I generally try to if if the group doesn't want it to become such a big deal, uh, they don't they don't they're not interested in having constraints on the game. They're looking for ways to get around constraints. And I'd say most groups well, I don't say most the groups I've dealt with are mostly like that. So um, alignment comes into a situation if. They, uh, I, I will get involved w- when it's clearly above uh, uh, the grounds. Like, um, I had a situation where uh, they, uh, one paladin, he his his uh, he knew of another paladin. The other paladin was killed in battle, and he was like, "Oh, we're going to take his stuff and do this." And I was like, "No." He wouldn't be taking his stuff. You'd be burying his stuff with his thing because that's the order of it and had to, you know, you wouldn't be just... Paladin was looting the body. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. <laughs> like, no, it wouldn't do that. that wouldn't and, and, you know, and look, that, that's fair because if you're going to be a paladin, you get some real advantages to being a paladin. Right. There should be some sort of negatives, too. That was less, but interesting, to me, that was less of... That being good or lawful is that paladins are this they're knights they're yeah. they have a code and regardless of um, you know wherever their background is and then you know there's a, there's a there's a way of doing things and you know desecrating the stripping the body off no you would pers- you would consecrate the body and put it in and bury it uh, you know whatever according to the custom so it's less about being lawful good it's about following or good it's following the rules right. Um, so I, I had to step in for that. Well, that's a paladin. If, if, if a player plays a paladin correctly, the paladin can be a real pain in the butt, in my opinion, to right. the other party members, right? Because right? the paladin is, well, let's face it, the paladin is holier than thou, right? And is going to probably complain about a lot of things, exactly. particularly if, if, if the paladin happens to be adventuring, whether it's a single adventure or you've suspended the rule with a neutral party. Particularly chaotic neutral, the paladin is going to be, you know, on the backs of the other party members a lot, or should be. So, well, and you know, this is not obviously a new problem. If you go back to uh, actually, there was Dragon Twenty Four, where it was it was nineteen seventy nine. It was starting the transition uh, to the nine alignment system. But they mm-hmm. talked about again the the original alignments had lawful, neutral, chaotic. And it just, that seemed like too few choices. And so they started coming up with basically the, the nine alignments, but they f- fell under rubrics of like a lawful good or a chaotic evil. Uh, in, in Dragon 60, they talks about alignment there and trying to flesh it out. But this, the same issues that we're talking about now have been around forever. And, they, and I think the games have tried to reduce their role, but I think if you diminish alignment, it's one of those things, if done right... It's a great, uh, it's a great thing because it it not it's not supposed to force um, the player to do something. The player can do whatever they want, 
the issue is it gives the DM an opportunity to have their actions of the player do something in the real world. And that it changes the dynamic of the player from or the character from being, you know, kind of this rogue who can do whatever they want to their actions have meaning and it's another opportunity to. So if you take it from that perspective, it's it's a little bit um, more palatable. If it's just this arbitrary kind of here's a set of rules or guidelines and you try to figure out, it becomes very painful because people say, well, I can't do that because of my alignment. You can do whatever you want. But your worldview says you would, you you'd be opposed to that. And if I three quick things I'd like to mention, while I remember them because we know we have other topics to cover. Is the keep talking? I gotta check something. Go sure. Ahead. So the first one is this, and these are all going to be alignment related. The first one is the idea that it's difficult for thieves to be lawful as opposed to chaotic. I mean, I I like playing a lawful neutral thief, and I, it often gets raised eyebrows, which is you know how can a thief be lawful? Well, a thief can definitely be lawful. A thief of the lawful bent is a thief who believes in perhaps you know making sure you join a thieves guild, you follow the thieves guild rules. It doesn't necessarily mean that you can't be a thief just because you're lawful. You might believe in structure and order while at the same time believing that it is permissible to steal things here and there. So I you know it's not that lawful means necessarily you've got to follow every rule of law, no jaywalking or this. Right. It, it means you generally believe it could be that you generally believe in structure uh, in organization and hierarchy, right? Because this is true. I mean, hierarchy is important, right? That you follow the people above you. Right. Uh, and so it is consistent with being a thief, but you got to play the thief uh, in the right way. Another thing is I like tendencies. Um, I don't see a lot of people use that officially in their alignments. Back in the day, we did for whatever reason. I, I, just, I think I remember seeing it. And, you know, Dragon Magazines, if you'd see a character, they'd say something like, you know, neutral good with chaotic tendencies. And we picked up on that. And so I think that can be nice, too. So you can be lawful good with, you know, maybe, you know, neutral good tendencies or something like that. And so that way you can play those shades, which is, you read that, where you can have those shadings in between um, the two different ones. And um, I forgot the third one. Well, yeah, I don't know the third one either. Well, no, because it was my third one. That's right. I had three points. Yeah, so you're of uh, you're of no helper. No, I'm not helpful with that. But the 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 ch- the thing of alignment. The reason it's so important because at least in first edition, there are game mechanics that are associated with. So some. What are some of the game mechanics that you recall that are used with alignment? Um. Well, so um. I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, the class that you have to be is, you right. know, I mean, that alignment dictates, you know, certain classes have to be certain alignments, yeah. as we've talked about. Um, are there other ones that you were thinking of? So, uh, well, if you're, um, if you're a good character, uh, pr- particularly good and evil, there's not as much law and chaos, but on good and evil, if you're good, you have spells protection from evil. If you're evil, mm-hmm. you have protection from good, which uh, allows... I think it's like a plus one to save. Uh, the other, the uh, people who are evil get minus one or minus two to attack you. So that's a mechanical thing. Oh, I thought that was just reversible. So if I'm e- like, what if I'm evil and other uh, other evils are coming after me? You know, I don't know. That's a great question. Yeah. I, I would probably allow evil people to do it. I don't know if I would allow good people to do that. Yeah, interesting. Uh, the, the spell is reversible, but that's one example of something that's mechanical. If you are this alignment. Right. 
and you go, or something, a spell gets cast on you, it may affect you. There are, there are magic items that only affect good or mm-hmm. neutral or evil characters. Um, there's a talisman of pure good, which will kill any evil cleric up to seven, mm-hmm. you know, you have seven charge up to seven charges. So, or, and then there's the talisman of ultimate evil. So an evil cleric can identify, they identify an evil, a good cleric, they can just go, and they're dead. Use of poison, right? Would be another, right? That's right, poison. You uh, Only neutral, mostly evil characters. Because, again, so I think the issue is we, we tend to, we live in a very somewhat moral relativistic, a lot of folks. Um, so what is evil? Well, the game says poison is evil. You could make a lot of arguments like, well, uh, why couldn't I, you know, if I can kill someone quicker, if I'm going to kill them anyway, mm-hmm. why wouldn't I kill them with poison? He said, well... That's 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 the rule as it had, as is written here, and we've talked about this before too. Cleric turning, if right. you follow uh, yes. polyhedron says, that's right, uh, which were were billed as official rules. Uh, it depends whether you, if you're a neutral cleric, if you're lawful neutral or you're chaotic neutral, indicates your how how you're going to turn. Whether you turn as a good character or as an evil character, and and it's part of this. Uh, and then there's uh, swords have an alignment. So they ha- if you get magical mm-hmm. swords that are certain. Um, Quality and if they're exceptional swords, they become intelligent. They have an alignment, and so they will only allow to be wielded by characters who are either aligned directly with them or closely aligned with them. So again, the, the classic is the Holy Avenger. It's the Paladin weapon, which is plus five in the hands of a Paladin right. and does all this other crazy stuff. Um, oh, I remember my third point. Maybe I should ah, say it fast. Yeah, say before. it. I'm sorry. Okay, so. <laughs> there, oh, it's gone. That's no, fine. no, no, it's bad. No, it's bad. So races, the the demi human races, you know, yes. dwarf, elf, gnome. They have. If you look in the monster manual, they have defaults. They have defaults, and it's interesting. I believe in sage advice, and I think this is crazy. I tend to like sage advice, but I think this is crazy. I think there's actually a question: sage advice. Do all dwarves have to be, say, lawful good? Because I think that's what they're indicated in right. monster manual. And the answer was. Yes, that's insanity. And no one follows that. You don't have to be the alignment in the monster man. Right. Uh, and, and, it, and it makes no sense. I mean, I'm sure we've got modules that Gary Gygax wrote who has demi humans that are different alignment. But what I do think, though, is I do think that if you're going to play a dwarf, but dwarfs are lawful good. Yep. In general, the vast majority of them. That says something about the dwarf personality. Yeah. If you're going to play a dwarf, and you're going to be chaotic neutral. I would think that you would want some sort of explanation of your backstory as to why you are. I don't say you had to have some sort of something happen to you when you were young, but you know, just some sort of recognition that you're different than the typical dwarf. And why are you different? Yeah. That's all. Because I like so you know if you're a law you know if you're a lawful neutral elf, you're a little different, aren't you? Right. Than a typical elf. If you're right. lawful neutral, like and and I think that. You'd want to think about why you're different and, and keep that in mind as, as you play the game. And, um, well, that's right. And I think what uh, that's where it becomes, again, if it's used as a tool to flesh out characters and your milieu, that makes a lot of sense. If it's just, uh, it's really hard to leverage if you don't have any background with it. So, again, I'm a paladin, I'm lawful good, I have no context, I have no background, I'm not sure what. So I don't want to role play it. So really, it's just a way for me to be constrained from doing things, as opposed to 
Um, I've always liked to play paladins for that type of what does these codes mean to me? And, and you have that challenge of trying to navigate the the self-imposed code or your version of the code because you're a zealot. And, and if I can mention real quick on paladins, everyone should read Gary Gygax's discussion on, I think it's on Dragon's Foot. It was a Q&A. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, it's wonderful. And, and it's all being collected. And you can find it. I think on dragonsfoot.org, you will find it all put okay. together. And he talks about paladins and the questions coming up of, you know, is it okay for a paladin to slay? You know, if you cap out and captures evil creatures, orc, goblin, whatever, is it okay to slay them? And I always figured the answer would be no. Gygax is like, yeah, nits make lice. The paladin absolutely, in his mind, Gygax's mind, would be within the alignment, in lawful alignment, in slaying them. They're evil. They should die. And this, to me, is where um, I think the first advice I would give is, um, and it's hard if you have newer players, you may need a guide, but if you have seasoned players, let them figure out what these rules are. So, for instance, you know, again, the same thing. We have the squishy lawful good paladin who's, you know, almost I love everything, everything is, you know, the Luke Skywalker version yeah. of it who is going to try to, doesn't wants to redeem everyone. Right. Everyone is redeemable kind of thing. <laughs> wants to talk to the goblin. It's right. like my kids. They're, they're the kids in that one game. Right. We're playing lawful well, good. I, yeah, like, well, we're, you know, and, and um, just like dwarves were forced to be lawful good, the idea is, well, are goblins necessarily lawful evil? Or, you know, I think they're... Uh, uh, they are I think they're, I think they're definitely lawful, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. Well, now i got to look it up. I think they're definitely... Yeah. Almost everything's lawful. Almost all of those are or, lawful. Yeah, orcs, yeah, except uh, hobgoblins are lawful evil. Goblins are... Uh, bugbears are chaotic evil. Gnolls are chaotic evil. Yeah, even... Uh, yeah. Yeah, kobolds lawful evil. Yeah. You know, look, you got to have order. Right. You know, you got to take orders from people. Yeah, lawful evil. So, I love goblins. So I know that's why I mentioned. They're my favorite. So favorite and I was reading them in the again. So that's we'll yeah. talk about that later. But so um, they're, they're you know are, are they really lawful evil? Are they are they a product of their environment and their culture mm-hmm. that they've just grown up this way and they're evil? So are you like can you redeem them? That's the squishy law. But the other <laughs> one is the crusader, right? The Crusader, you may argue now, is not lawful good now. You may even argue lawful neutral or whatever the case may be. But the Crusader, oh, that's right. the holy zealot fighter, you know, you have a choice, repent or die. And then there's some who are not repentable. That's the that's idea. Right. Is or like, the, yeah. Or like the conquistadors, the days of old. Right. Are they good or now do we right. think they were neutral or perhaps evil? Right. That's true. My good is your evil. And that's where this relativism comes. So, uh, you know, that's the... the that, uh. That's to me is the first. Go ahead. No, that'd be fascinating because you know what? If we had a monster manual dra- written by the orcs, right? Humans would be like, right. you know, evil. Yeah, that's right. And the, and and the orcs are you know lawful good, right? They're right. Like, we're, just, we're good, right? Well, and right, it says the Grumish got <laughs> they got railroaded out of all the good stuff. The other gods conspired. He had a legitimate yeah. beef. He had conspired. He lost his eye because that nasty elf. The elf. Shot at him, so all these, uh, yeah, your, you know, that's your good is my, your evil is my good, kind yeah. of thing. Uh, so, the, but this is the relativism. You have to pick a side, and the and there is baked into the game, at least in this version, kind of a you know Western civilization version of uh, 
good versus evil from a Western civilization perspective. Yeah, see, now that would be a campaign. You know, people talk about running an evil campaign. I don't, you know, if you you could run a campaign, not just an evil campaign, but I mean a campaign where you're orcs or whatever, it could be quite interesting if you really take that viewpoint of it, you know, that you've been wronged and this is why you've been wronged. Not just, hey, I want to be an orc because I want to kill an elf and be evil. Right. You know, but exactly. actually have that backstory to it. Well, and, and that's, you know, we'll talk about a little bit on evil campaigns because that should be a separate podcast, but that's one of the areas. So you uh, the, the, again, it becomes everyone has their perspectives of where these 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 meanings, these words, good and evil, law and chaos, but good and evil specifically are very charged. They don't, you know, I wouldn't do that. But again, if I was a paladin, you could argue, and I always I argue, the the monsters in the monster manual are unredeemable. They are they are basically uh, spawned out of the pit of whatever. And I, I did my best, as you know, to try to make you guys feel bad about, you know, because I would give them, you know, basically, essentially the wallet with the picture of the kids and all that to make you, you guys never really felt no. very bad about it. No. You guys were hard enough to crack. No, and, and in fact, that made it even more pleasurable that we knew there was more, because we were, you know, basically chaotic evil, but <laughs> there, was, there was no, but that's why it's allowed. Um, and then you can take it to the extreme so again, you're a paladin. You you fight, uh, you know, and and that should reflect on the kobolds. If the kobolds see a paladin and they know it's a paladin, they should never surrender, because they know yeah. they're going to be killed. They should fight to the death, or they yeah. should run away. There should be no surrender, or, or they're going to plead with you know the the someone else in the party. Yeah. Oh, keep the you know keep the the executioner away from me. Yeah. Um, but then on the flip side, you get. Uh, um, this alignment kind of, you know, lawful stupid is or chaotic stupid, where people use the alignment uh, of their character as an excuse to do dumb things. Because that's what my character would do. I hear that and all my head gets, you know, gets all... Well, does anyone do that when they have, I say, an aid intelligence? They're like, well, I'm going to do this stupid, you know, because I have an aid intelligence. That doesn't happen. Some try. You know, it's, it's either there super genius or they're completely mentally challenged. There's no... Yeah. Aid intelligence is slightly below average. It's at least from an IQ perspective. They're not, you know, we disabled. Had, we had... Wesby, we had a character in the Borderlands game way back when. I think he literally had a four intelligence. Right. And as Edward pointed out, he wasn't sure that this guy could even adventure. Right. I mean, he really... I mean, he's, he he's 40, incompetent. He has a 40 IQ. I he's, mean... He probably would not be... Yeah, he would be adventuring. I don't know how that would work. <laughs> well, I, I do give credit to the player. He did really make an effort. He didn't play him as completely incompetent, but close to it. Right. And so he did a good job with it. And I think that's where um, uh, all these things... If you have players who are going to try to use this to, to make the game interesting is when it's fun. So... Again, you, characters should follow their actions based on their what their understanding of the character is, and that should reflect on the alignment. The alignment shouldn't dictate. So that's the rule number one. I think people get confused. Well, alignment's bad because it makes uh, the character do No, character can do whatever you want. Their alignment's changed. The, the challenge, of course, is switching alignments because if, if it was like, okay, well, great, you know, I'm neutral, and then I decide, you know... My character starts figuring, you know, following rules is probably good. And consistently 
um, seeks to promote law, and at some point the dungeon master, you know, of course, is charting, and see, you cross the line, and you've moved to I don't know how many of these you become lawful and neutral. So in the game, um, based on the chart, and again you have this three by three squares, you have neutral in the middle. You cannot, you can only move naturally from. Uh, so if you're, for instance, lawful good. You only have two choices of alignment you can go to. You can either go to lawful neutral or you can go to neutral good. You cannot go from lawful good to chaotic evil in one fell mm-hmm. swoop, at least non-magically. There are ways magically you can do that, but um, you can only move one shift from alignment. Because the, under- the understanding is you were lawful good, you had this perspective, you had this worldview, and let's say you... Um, you know, unless you've had insanity or some kind of change, you should be drifting towards that. And uh, so let's say I'm not as helpful. I start, you know, uh, killing everyone because that's what I think the rules are and I don't care if they're human or not or redeemable. I'm probably not good anymore and I become lawful and neutral and I become almost like this Avenger type of, uh, you know, uh, person. So why is that a big deal to change alignment? Well... In the Dungeon Master's Guide, which of course this oh, is this is why yeah, not good. this is why people get uh, concerned because alignment has an uh, impact. And if you can give us a page number when you get there, yeah, I, I gotta find it here. Oh yeah, there's more ramifications, isn't there? Do right. you lose a level or something? Like well, that? that's right. Oh, I knew there's yeah. So the first potential ramification, which we've talked about, is if your class requires you to be a particular alignment or within a range of alignments and you move outside of that, you lose your class, right? So the, the classic example is the paladin right. who changes alignments is now a fighter. Exactly. And I assume the ranger who moves out of good and toward into any neutral, as opposed to not just a neutral good would be okay, but any non-good alignment, I assume, also becomes a fighter. That's right. I assume a thief, and we can go through a lot of this. What happens to a druid who, this would be bizarre, so a, a thief who becomes chaotic good, what happens to you? I guess you're done. I, I don't know. I don't know if uh, what alignments. I think. I think. Uh, individually, you, I think the fighter and the I mean the paladin and the it's on page twenty four and twenty five by the way of the dungeon master's guide. I think when you know specifically the thieves. Um, you know that that's a good. Well, that would be weird because it'd be like, you know, you're being too good. Right. I mean, that could happen. I mean, you're being too good. Like, oh, I don't want to pickpocket that nice man. Because that would be, you know, you're, you're chaotic neutral. And like, no, that would be against the rules. That would be odd, though. Right. And I would, you know, this again, I, I, I drew it. I think you would just become, I don't know what you'd become. Well, let's talk about clerics in just a second. If, so in, in page 24 and 25, it talks about, because one other thing we forgot to talk about, which is on my list here, in the use of a game, there's this other weird thing called an alignment language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So not only do you have a, uh, an alignment, you have a, your common language, which is kind of everyone, the lingua franca their own speaks, and you may have a racial language, a dwarf, or, or and you may, and based on your intelligence, you may have more languages. You also learn this alignment language. And it's the idea that Gygax talks about. It's similar to the Catholic Church, or uses Latin as a common language for liturgy, and that you can be a Catholic anywhere in the world, and if you knew Latin, 
you, I may not speak the same language, but we can communicate at some level because mm-hmm. of, of Latin. And, you know, it's interesting. It says it's never to be flaunted in public because there's this idea that your alignment is, is hidden um, and that you don't want to tell. But, you know, as a paladin, you know they you know their alignment because they're lawful good, you know, this right. kind of a zealot type of thing. Uh, and again, alignment language is used to establish credentials only after initial communications have been established by other means. Only in the most desperate situation of any creature utters something in alignment tongue. It also be noted that alignment does not necessarily empower a creature to actually speak or understand the alignment language, which is general. Thus, blink dogs, so a blink dog is a monster, it's lawful good are intelligent, lawful, good creatures who have a language of their own. A lawful, good dwarf, human, or brownie would absolutely be at a loss to communicate with blink dogs, however, except in the most limited of ways, uh, basically to show non-aggression and fear using it. They wouldn't be able to like, st- you know, have a trade negotiation with a blink dog using this alignment language. So I'm really not sure what it does. It's just this idea of, I guess the best thing is, there's religious terms that you would ascribe to that you could discuss, and people would be like, oh, yeah, like... Hell. What does hell mean? That would, if you were of a certain alignment, you'd know what hell is. It was not a universal thing. It's a specific religious version of it. But so that's another thing that I don't think anyone uses the alignment. We never use it, but it could be used if you, if the players and the DM would actually use it. Yeah, and I can tell you. So this actually came up for me. The players didn't use it, but as I was getting ready to run a game, it was the game at GaryCon, and there were some lizard men who had taken over a portion. No, I'm sorry, troglodytes who had taken over a portion of the house. And, you know, I, I was interested, well, can the party communicate with them? And I believe troglodytes are chaotic evil, I want to say. Uh, yeah, it sounds about right. Sounds about right. Um, it's really not good. And so the question I had was, well, okay, if so, you know, there was somebody else that was chaotic evil in the house. And, you know, in trying to set up the backstory, would they be able to communicate with each other? And so, you know, I got the sense of, well, they could do a little bit of communicating. Not a lot. Right. Because as you've noted, it's not a full-blown language, but they could do some. So um, it could it could come... I, I think if players are playing smart and they come upon a creature that they can't speak the regular, you know, another language with, they might give a try at speaking a little bit of some of the uh, alignment time to see if they can communicate. Yeah, I, w- I would, you know, use the, the perspective that's in here. And, and if someone tried to use it in a way that was creative, I would, I would have no issue with that. So, uh, so let's talk about changing alignments. So this is why it's a huge... Uh, issue because again the idea is the alignment did not you did not start with your alignment when you became a player when you when your character became a monk or a thief or whatever this was their worldview and they and mm-hmm. that that kind of drove them to their profession and their profession uh, val- validated their alignment so at the bottom of twenty five or near it's assumed that the character's initial alignment has been his or hers for a considerable period of time to the character's emergence as an adventurer. The ethos will not be lightly changed by a stable, rational individual. Hmm. So this, is, again, goes back to, um, you know, if you've got a player character, a player who's playing a character irrationally, well, you may want to say, hey, are you insane? Because then we'll put 
put in insanity because there's rules for insanity and, and there's minuses to that. And then that may stop some of the, oh, no, I was just playing my character. Well, you're, you're still rational people. Chaotic, neutral people are not insane mm-hmm. unless you are insane. The Joker was insane. Right. Um, you know, and that's, you know, that's kind of the one that's always looked at chaotic evil, this kind of selfish, crazy, random act thing. But that's insanity. Is it is recommended that you do not inform players of the penalty which will occur with alignment change, though everyone knows what alignment change so that they seek to use alignment as a means of furthering their own interest by conveniently swapping one for another. When they deem the time is right, will find that they have instead placed a, paid a stern price for fickleness. Mm-hmm. Ooh. So what is the stern price? The stern price pr- is immediately upon alignment change actually occurring, the character concerned will lose one level of experience, dropping experience to take him to the very beginning of the next lower level, losing the hit dice, hit points, and all abilities which occurred to him with the lost level. If alignment change is involuntary, meaning there is some kind of magic item, then the character can regain all all the losses upon returning his or her former alignment as soon as possible. And after making atonement through a cleric of the same alignment and sacrificing treasure, which has a value of not less than 10,000 gold pieces per level mm-hmm. of the character. <laughs> that is, yeah, that's, that's rough. Oh, okay. So, now, the thing that we've, I, I only read probably pretty recently, and that, oh, I don't know, I don't think we played this before, but... Um, Okay, so back to your druid question. It's on the second paragraph. Yeah, so. First, change of alignment for clerics can be very serious, as it might cause a change in deity. Now, this is a. I was going to talk about deities and demigods because we had this conversation. Yes. So, the difference between alignment and worshippers' alignment. So, what's your understanding from the book? So, my understanding is from the deities and demigods says that clerics must be of the same alignment as their deity, whereas the worshippers. It'll tell you what the worshippers alignment can be. I mean, some deities, I don't even think it has a worshippers alignment. It might be like all fighter types or something like that, right? Is that your recollection? My recollection is deities and demigods is strict on that, that you have to have the same alignment. I believe it says that, but here it says, first change of alignment for clerics can be very serious as it might cause a change of deity. Yeah, which is, yeah, and I, th- and I think, uh, yeah, I've noted in the past that there seems to be some inconsistency as to whether clerics have to be of the same alignment, or whether it's just generally recommended. And I think somewhere else, and I have to look on that sheet I put together, uh, which which you know encompasses a lot of the rules, I, I noted the inconsistency. I think yeah. somewhere it said, it does not necessi- you do not necessarily have to be the same somewhere. I right. think that was Gygax saying that. And then Dees and Demigods, uh, Jim Ward, said um, that... You need to be the same. So, because yeah, I was always under the former thing, and then you pointed out because I just saw worshiper alignment, and right. I uh, ascribed that to the cleric as well, since they're a worshiper. I didn't separate the two because I didn't. I don't think I read all the preface of it, which has a lot of good information. We'll talk about it in just a second, but. Uh, then you pointed that out, I'm like, oh, you're right. And that, but then and I just read this, and it says, oh, that's a difference. Yeah, so. and I ran into an issue because I, I was creating a pregen of a half-orc cleric, and I wanted the backstory was that the half-orc cleric worshipped an orc deity, the orc deity that's involved with healing, and who happens to have neutral tendencies. 
So I want, you know, I guess under the, the deities and demigods strictly applied, that couldn't happen. That couldn't be that half-orc's deity, but I did it anyway. Just a rule breaker. Yeah, well, it's not. You, you went back. To, you, you had to fall back to the you're the final arbitrator, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, and I'm a big fan of the rule of cool, right? And, yeah. I, and, so I, and I thought that was cool to have a half-orc who's worshipped. And other people think not, but I thought it was cool. It fit with the backstory, so I did it. So back to the druid, if a druid changes her alignment, that is, becomes other than neutral, he, then he or she is no longer a druid at all. Yeah, what are you? You're nothing then. You're a butcher. Right, which is, well, is that crazy. Because everything else, like a paladin, you uh, it's like you got kicked out of the Sierra Club and you have nowhere to go. It's like, no, you can't even... No, you know what it is? No, I'll tell you why it is. Because this is the awesomeness of being a paladin or, say, a ranger, that you're like, you're like an awesome fighter. So you just get pegged down. You go down right. one peg. But when you're just a druid... Sorry, buddy. Yeah. You got nowhere to go but zero level fighter. Yeah, you go from I'm the let's see. What's yeah, you're kicked out of school. Right. You've been academically dis- dismissed. Well, not academically. I'm the arch druid. But the thing about this, I'm the arch. I'm a level thirteen druid. And you want to? You got power and, hungry. Or some alignment. Something changes. Somehow you get your magic. You you pick up something. Your alignment changes. You're that's, nothing. You're that's, zero level. That's my next backstory for my character. I was the arch druid or something. Yeah. What's, the, what's the highest? Is the that great, the, high? the great druid? I was the great druid, and I it went to my head. Okay. And I don't know. I became chaotic or something, right? That's right. And, I love it. And now, you got yeah, two good stories. And yeah. so now I'm starting anew mm-hmm. as 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 uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, but I, I used to be the great druid. That's right, great druid to zero. So zero people zero. see me and they're like, "Oh, hello. and I'm, you know." No, no, don't talk to me. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Because now, now, now I'm just a thief. Are. Oh yeah, the only thing I kept was my plus five. Like, oh, I didn't hear. Right, what happened? <laughs> so, right. man. Yeah. A, That's right. Yeah. Or, orcs, uh, orcs, and so it's all about the druids. I sense yes. the druid campaign. I love it. But see, that's... the traveling bards, the band. Or the traveling bards, yes. In the band. Because... The VW uh, bus. Oh, uh, in the bus, that's right. <laughs> it breaks down all the time. But that, but see that... That's right, that's the adventure. They break down. They're like they Scooby-Doo. And they're like, oh, they break down next to the haunted house. That's right. They're Sorry, go ahead. No, that's perfect. So when are you running this campaign? You should do it online. That should be... If we do a Patreon thing, that'll be Dan's... Join Dan's... Uh, you, he'll have three, three types. You vote, and then he'll run that campaign. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it won't be a lot. Four or five, you know, you can't do more than four or five sessions. But um, so the good news is changing alignment will have no, will have an adverse effect on any character if he or she is above the second level. So if you're first level and you're basically you're like your kid who, you know, mm-hmm. was into uh, whatever, was into. Um, you know, whatever kind of movie and started wearing black clothes yeah. and everything else. And then the next, you know, like, oh, my kid's really dark and phase. And then next week, ah. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, okay. Now, Just like a probationary period, too. That's right. So you have up, so as long as they're less than second level, you can switch alignments, assuming that it doesn't affect your class. I like so. how you say, as long as you're less than second level. Like, there's like a broad range of levels below second. Right. As long as you're first. Or zero. Oh, look, that's... 
First or uh, above Who? second, above the second, so you'd be first or second. Oh, I'm sorry, above the second, right? unless I got it. Okay. So you have two levels or zero levels. So so really, as a zero level man at arms, some or the normal populace, they could be switching alignments all the time. They could be shifting as you. Yeah, see. it's like, hey, you can't do that. You're current neutral. What do I care? What are you What are you gonna do to me? See, this is why the druid became that. He was tired of being this kind of balance. He's way too constrained. So he's like, I don't care about having the power to shift earthquakes and summon elementals. I'd rather. Just just have freedom. You know what be interesting, or you know what be interesting is he, you know, he or she becomes good. It's like, look, you know, I I've been misled here. This balance stuff is, it bothers me. Right. I don't like this. Some of this evil. I'm going good. Right. And I'm gonna be, you know, it's not circle of life. It's I don't I neutral don't good. It's all good now. Yeah. It's all good. Right. It's all good. It's the all. Good. It's the all good campaign. Right. And and so that uh, so it's a huge deal, and and it is kind of a death penalty kind of because if there's something that players. Hate, 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 hate. Like we talked about oh, last God. time with the yeah. white, just level draining. No, oh, they hate it. Yes, they do. It's the they rather. I'd rather die. I. <laughs> yeah, you see a level drain, you just run, right? Right. I don't care if it's low level or any chance I'm hit. I'm so, out of here. So you you uh, you know you have to have a, st- a strong player, uh, a DM relationship where. Hey, you know that seventh level or that you know sixth level druid now is a zero level man at arms. Yeah, who's yeah? I'll keep playing that. That sounds great. I can't adventure. I can't gain experience points. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like. So I was wondering if that would be a fun game or not. You know, following a lot of these rules, it'd be like taking a really stressful college class mm-hmm. where, where the professor's really mean and tough and you're scared you're going to fail the exams and you're stressing the whole set. That sounds I, like fun, doesn't it? I feel like I thought that was called the uh, Pelinor campaign, wasn't that the... Hey, that was all on you guys. <laughs> I, I ran the adventures as written. So, right? I, and I rolled. I followed I the syllabus as written. I, I didn't write the syllabus. That's right. I came there. The syllabus was prepared for me so it's by lawful. the faculty it's very committee. That's yeah, right. it's very, very lawful. lawful. I, I, didn't, well, I didn't cheat. I rolled the dice. No fudging. Lawful you know, so you're lawful neutral. When you you're know, right. if you pick up the evil artifact, there will be consequences. Right. <laughs> At least without a glove or something, That's there right. will be yeah. consequences. You're not wearing a bee suit, so then you <laughs> exactly you're gonna be right, exactly. So you forget you forget about the fourteenth level. And of course, it's I mean, old school. Great. Of course, there's going to be a 14th level illusion. Why wouldn't you be up against a 14th level illusionist at level one? Right. <laughs> Who was a druid at one point, then he switched to the Exactly. So, uh, the last thing I have is about because we did mention this. So, there's a book, Deities and Demigods. We kind of alluded to it. So, these are the three core books Monster Manual, Player's Handbook, Dungeon Master's Guide. But there are other books came out afterwards, up to you know a certain time, which we won't speak of because Dan doesn't like that point, 1985. But Ooh. before that, yeah, there if the, is. If, yeah, if the this is my standard. If the go go's are still together, you can follow those rules. Ah, that's the standard. It's the go go's rule. Did they break up in ninety I think they were broken up by then because Belinda Carlisle was out on her own. I think I'm by the, the mid eighties. I'm pretty sure they, then they reunited at some point. But so that's yeah, that's the rule. Because eighty four would you'd be safe. I don't know when in eighty five. No, I that. think Belinda Carlisle was out on her own at that point. Okay. I feel I'm sure a caller to the Grog Line will let us know. I know David Lee Roth was out of Van Halen at that time. Mm, so that, that was a big deal. That that was because eighty. 80, 1984 was the last album for Van Halen, so that would be a good one too. Because I think '85 is when the dark. Yeah, the dark I gotta tell you, Sammy. Yeah, Sammy Hagar. Well, that's well. Don't say that. I mean, I have my picture of Sammy. Right I know there. I like Sammy, but the idea of Sammy leading Van Halen was weird. Yes. You know, 
Well, now it's now they're all old like us. So and, yeah, and, and he hasn't been. You know, Iron Maiden's coming again. Really? Well, I, we, yeah, another tour. Good. I, I will definitely see them again. Coming to Sunri- Sunrise, I believe. Oh, they're only going to South Florida. Well, you know, last time they started in South Florida, and then they added the Tampa show. And yeah, like and a, I was a schmuck. Way. I went. Yeah, I know. Like a schmuck, I drove to Sunrise, and then you just drove over to Tampa. Well, so well that that could be the Grog tour. We need to go to uh, that. Would I think people would. Uh, we need to maybe do we, like that. we should wear D and D shirts to Iron Maiden shows since everyone wears Iron Maiden shirts to D and D games. Yes, right. Don't you think I we do. should just switch it up? But you probably get a lot of people like, yeah. I'm or gonna... we get beat up. <laughs> One of the two. It's stuffed in the life. <laughs> stuffed in the garbage. Yes, <laughs> just like old times. Yeah. See, like... you want the real one, old one, the spirit. You're nostalgic. That's right. That's what we need to do. That's right. Just like getting <laughs> throttled. Yeah. How's the pummeling rules? Up. Oh, yes. Figure it out right now. Yes. Wait. You didn't roll. <laughs> you don't even know the. You don't even know the pummeling rules. Hey, you want to roll? Only six can attack me at this time. Yes. Yeah. You're not small. Unhand me. I'm just a gnome. <laughs> Right. So, deities and demigods. So, it, it you know it is the book um, that kind of codifies a lot of fantasy and uh, mythologies from our past, and puts it in a book so you can have some ideas. And of course, it's infamous. Why is it infamous? Are you talking about the Cthulhu? Was well, it not the Cthulhu? Mythos. Yet. And what the other one too? Was it? Uh... Yeah, I forgot the other. It was from. Um, it, it was another one that they didn't have rights for. So, yeah, yeah. So they, they published Elnabone, these... Elnabone, I think. Yeah, Elric yeah, so. El and Elnabone. Yeah, yeah they, they published these deities. Well, that's the other thing. The other reason it's infamous, why is it infamous? What's What What does it look like? If, if, I, did, if, if I just showed you the pages and didn't show you the cover, what, what would it be similar to? If you just show me the pages, yeah. If you oh, want. you mean because there's stats That's for right. these things, so right. like leading you to believe you're supposed to fight these, right? Things? Exactly. Okay, yeah, right. yeah okay. they statted. So the thing was, they statted every deity. They put, uh, they put every deity there, and they put stats on it, which to me means, of course, then you're going to go fight them. Don't, don't, don't give a, don't give the ingredients and the recipe if you're not meant to bake the item, right? Right, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So and so people did. I like this, you know, I honestly never thought of the stats. I know a lot of people that absolutely are absolutely correct, that a lot of people thought that way. I was just so not that. What I liked about the stats was, if you think you're awesome, think again, loser. Right. That I viewed it in a very one kind of way, which was like, you're a loser. You think you're awesome with your zero armor class paladin? I'm a gnome deity, and I have like a negative five armor class right. and like two hundred hit points. Yeah, there's, there, you know, if it was played, played right, that's wrong. If you really took it, so judgmental. Well, okay. well, because you kept hearing about, oh, we de- we went to hell and defeated all the devils there. I'm like, what? That's mm-hmm. impossible. I yeah. were level thirty-seven. How are you level thirty-seven? You're fifteen years old. What did you? Have you been playing every day since you were born? Uh, playing your character? Yes. No, I have. No. No, you've not. And you don't have 12 holy, vorpal weapons of whatever. Every artifact, they'd like... Anyway, that's a, we'll talk about Monty Hall campaign before. But in the Deities and Demigods, there's a beginning part. It talks about the relationship of clerics with their uh, deities. Important they, read. Must yes. read, in my opinion. For yes. anyone who plays a cleric, you should read that. I think that's it's one of my favorite passages in all of the first edition books. And it leads to where I think alignment and the way I use it, and I think it's the, I don't say it's the right way, but it it helps 
use alignment without having some of this weirdness. And so what does it talk about there? Maybe just briefly paraphrase what you... Well, what I remember from the the cleric uh, portion, and I don't remember specific. I mean, I remember the part about you're supposed to be the alignment uh, of your deity. What, what jumped out at me, and maybe this is more a conversation about, just talking about clerics, is that you're supposed to be proselytizing. <laughs> you're always supposed to be trying to convert people um, uh, to uh, your particular deity. Uh, I also, what I thought was interesting too, is that the cleric is often supposed to be viewed as the leader of the party. That it's the reli- the religious person is right. the one who's the leader, as opposed to the cleric just being the person back, the medic who right. heals. It's actually the cleric who who is tremendously respected by the lay community in general, right. and is usually those are the things that I remember as popping, which weren't really specific alignment based. But it talks about um, the interaction with how well you are proselytizing, how well you're following the tenets of your deity could impact the spells you could select right. mm-hmm. the you know um, you could potentially get divine intervention if you've been ex- extremely pious yeah. and they help with that yeah um, that being a cleric as you get higher level should be very dangerous uh, in many ways because you, uh, and even a low level cleric you may be a pawn in your deity's uh, whims, and that, you know, and as a cleric, you'd be like, oh, great, I'm being used by my deity. Well, the use from your deity may be to have you fight impossible odds or, you know, to the glory of the thing, and that you're more of a pawn, and you're not this independent agent Mm -hmm. of that. So, um, to me, that's the, and and we don't tend to play clerics that, we tend to play them as heel bots, Mm -hmm. that they just, you know, they're medics, they are second-line fighters, and so, you know, kind of bringing this back together is this idea of worshippers. And I, I think somewhere, I forgot what, I want to say it's in the Dungeon Master's Guide or maybe in the uh, players. It says every character sh- must should have a patron deity. Right, correct. Um, so that's where I start from, is alignment without deities don't make a whole lot of sense. Because the idea, and, and I think that's inferred, but it really is not tied together. Because again, if you go back to the player's handbook and you go in the back back, there's this other weird chart that, like, why do they have this here? They talk about the planes, and they talk about the inner and outer planes and plane travel. I'm like, I, I just want to go into a dungeon. I don't care about the planes. It's only later that you find out about it. And there's this kind of understanding of cosmology again, which is kind of based on I don't know what the religious tenets of, of our society, but the creatures that exist on the prime material, if they're intelligence, have kind of a spiritual currency. They're worth something. And uh, the other tenet is a deity's power is directly aligned with how many followers they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're, and it's kind of, you know, it's a death spiral one way or another, right? You have less de- you have less followers, you're lesser deity, you have less followers, you have less deity, and vice versa, you have more followers. So all the deities throughout the nine uh, you know, planes that these people come from, they're all trying to maximize their followers in the prime material plane, which is the earth or earth-like thing, and so that when they die, those creatures will come to their get their ultimate reward or punishment, depending on your point of view. Um, so if you're lawful evil, you're going to go to hell. If you're chaotic evil, you're going to the abyss. If you're uh, lawful good, you're going to the seventh heavens. If you're, go, if you're chaotic good, you go to Olympus or whatever. There, there's, in other words, there's a 
plane of existence where your deity is that people of that alignment go to. So the rule, the best advice I can always give is you should always have deities and uh, you, you should require that each player have one. This is not this idea of atheism doesn't make any sense. I mean, you could, I guess you could say I don't believe in them, but they're physical manifestations of them. It's kind of like saying I don't believe in gravity. I guess I can say that, but gravity exists. And in D&D game, as it's written, the gods are real, they're interactive, and um, they have a direct... They, uh, while they may not intervene directly in the planes, they are very interested in, the, in what's happening because they want to promote their worldview. Yeah, I, I would think that if you're going to play an atheist, and I think there is a reference somewhere here that you know you can play an atheist. I think it may be in, in the Deeds and Demigods, but I think your point is a good one, which is I think you know you would be really out of the norm, and you would want some backstory about why you're an atheist, and I think you'd need to play it differently, not like an atheist today, right? right? Because you know why are you disbelieving what 99.9 percent of everyone else believes and people are, are perhaps seeing. Um, so, uh, and, and another thing too, a quick shout out to things like the um, Unknown Gods from Judges Guild. It depends how you run your campaign, you know. There, and I think now Osric has uh, done something similar. Uh, I can't remember if like the Forgotten Gods or something like that. But it's these lesser deities, which actually, you know, so you're in town and there's a lesser deity in town. You know, I mean, we're talking like 70, 80 hit points or so. Right. Um, so I think that can be a lot of fun too. Yeah, and you can, that, so to so me, that's kind of the flavor. You know, the, we, we're, we're obviously looking through things through the lens of, of our own uh, world that we have. But even if you go back to, not prehistoric, but early civilization, you know, there was the de- there were local deities and saints and, mm-hmm. and you know, demigods, all these kind of less, they were immortal or semi-immortal or very long last, and patrons of blocks and neighborhoods and guilds. Your, your world should be full of these things. Um, the problem is, it goes back, like we talked about the campaign, that takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. So... I think, you know, if, if I, I inherited the Borderlands campaign, I've kind of in, in put my own deities on there, and I did this, I did the absolute minimum I could. I basically made a, a deity for each god. Alignment, each alignment. Uh, for each alignment. Right. I'm sorry, a god for each alignment. So at least there's one. Right. And that's kind of difficult, because then the demi-humans have their own god, and they want, so I kind of grafted them on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing with that is... My advice: use require everyone to have a deity because that gives you a backstory. Require them to to if if they have a deity they want to make up, which is fine as long as it falls into the world. Mm-hmm. Have them put their tenants have have the players write that out. Let them write what their alignment means because again, lawful good means a lot of things to a lot of people. You know, if they're part of the you know uh, in Greyhawk, there's Herodotus. He's like the you know, God of good. His brother is Hextor. He's chaotic evil or neutral evil, if I remember correctly. Um, and so, you know, they they are a certain alignment. But when they see each other, all bets are off. Mm-hmm. It's like no mercy. You know, maybe I, I I would be, you know, if I capture you, I may let you go. But if you're a worshiper of Hexter, you're dead and vice mm-hmm. versa. Um, have them fill that out so that you're not doing all the work and then prescribing what the what your player characters they should have attendance of that it's almost like hey you're a follower of this belief you know if you want to use one of the deities and demigods so i play i've played a character in yours where he's follower of dionysus you didn't sit here and say hey this is what he believes i looked at the thing i mm-hmm. kind of gave it and i try 
to follow it with some interesting consequences, right? You, uh, um, like it says in there, that they can't ride horses. So <laughs> any of the great, apparently, the, other than maybe a, uh, there's one where you can ride horse, I think, right. right? But yeah, any of the Greek, right? You're not supposed to ride horses. Can't ride a horse. I can be in a wagon, but I can't ride a horse. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I did some research on it. And so that to me is that should be in the player's purview. Let them describe what their alignment is in relation to their deity. Because, again, if, if Orcus, if you're worshipping Orcus, which is the demon lord of undeath, um, you know, if you're, and you're a cleric, and you're using cure light wounds, why would you use cure light wounds? Give me a rationale why mm-hmm. you would use it. I could argue he's the god of undeath. What? More dead people is more things to raise. Yeah. yeah. Would you even get that? You be, let them try to figure out why that is. Right. Uh, instead of you trying to figure Can out. Can I ask you your opinion on this? So a an a cleric who is chaotic, evil, would a cleric worship a demon? So in other words, but you have to worship a deity. I mean, there's a difference between mm-hmm. a demon. And a god, right? I mean, so I would, because I was wondering, I mean, I was dealing with the backstory for, for my game for Gary Khan with a chaotic evil. It was a necromancer, which is, is, is a special class that was in White Dwarf. But, so I was sort of wondering, you know, and it, and it had spells, necromancer had spells. So I was just sort of wondering, I don't know if there's a real answer to this, but, you know, can you, would, would a, do you view, a, would a chaotic evil cleric worship a demon, or would they, would they have to, I guess, go to, a deity because they got to get their spells right? right, and I don't know that demons grant spells. Do they? So I, I say it's probably not clear yeah. in um, in the actual core books, but uh, using other materials. So, for instance, um, in Greyhawk, there are minor deities and demigods where people worship them and they mm-hmm. give up spells. So. And I think you can give it a certain level. I think the deities right. and demigods, right, says that like lesser, which is one of, if you're going to, if you're a cleric and you're picking your deity, you want to pay attention to the level of deity, correct, right? right? Because if it's a lesser deity or something like that, you're going to, you're going to max out at a certain level on spells that they can grant you. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to, though I think you can have multiple deities, I think that's permissible, right? I mean, I guess if there's an alignment conflict, you couldn't. Well, and that is, that's another question. That's a really good question. You know, there was... That's certainly in our, in our own human history. There was... People had multiple deities. And if yeah. they were... Uh, they may have a prime one, but they also yeah. you know, worshipped to other ones. And it wasn't for, uh, seen as a big issue. Then other other pantheons were very jealous. You, you may recognize them and be rever- reverence to them, but you wouldn't be worshipping them, you know, only yeah. for certain exceptions. And I guess I guess it becomes more of an issue with a cleric. A cleric, it probably becomes dicier to have multiple, right. because your relationship with your deity is so strong, and deities and demigod says it's supposed to be the same alignment, so I think it'd be a little bit easier for non-clerics uh, to have multiple deities. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, if you're, if, I think if you are... Uh, a cleric, you are you are a follower of that person. You, you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. But I would definitely argue that a um, you know as far as worshiping a, a demon lord or a you know a major devil, anything like that, that would be similar to. So Eus is a is a greyhawk demigod, and he has followers, mm-hmm. and so he's not as powerful as Orcus is. Yeah, so, oh, and you're right. You bring up the point of devils too. So right. if you're a lawful evil cleric, 
Right. Yeah, can your deity ascend? I mean, I don't know. It's maybe you shouldn't call it deity because it's a deity, but can you, do you worship a devil and get, or do you need to find a deity? Yeah, I, no, I don't think the book's clear. Right? I, I would say yes, but again, there are there could be potential limits to, um, you know, how level, how high a level is, because only greater gods uh, will endow seventh level spells, six or seventh level spells. If I remember in the deities and demigods, you must. In other words, they come directly from your deity, and it must be a deity to get that. So, yeah. um, you know, but that's how it is, right? That's kind of like you're in the uh, minor leagues or the major leagues. Oh, yeah. And um, it's about access. Right. Your access changes, right? You're low level. You have very little access. Well, and, you know, that could be one of the discussions you should have with your players. It's like, uh, you know... If if you're if you are ascribing to a lesser deity, what what is the value of it? Maybe is it culturally? Because again, a power gamer is never going to pick a weaker deity because if they ever get high enough level, they wouldn't have access to it. So maybe those lesser deities are more likely to get involved, or they give more resources. So that could be a mechanical way to trade off on that. So they're not always using that. How do you um, druids? So my I'll tell you my understanding, and you tell me if, if this is correct. If you agree that is that in general, druids wouldn't have a deity because they worship nature. But I did notice in the deities and demigods that the Celtic deities, it indicates that their worshippers are primarily druids. Mm-hmm. So what's what's your understanding with druids and deities? Well, uh, I think the answer is yes to both. I think druids, for the most part, there's this idea, just like magic is kind of like the force that kind of spreads throughout the universe. It's not sure where it comes from. Really. I'm, I'm sure there's probably been on dragon's foot where does magic come from um, but it kind of describes that magic is a force like gravity it's throughout the universe uh, it can be wielded um, same thing with nature it's, it's this you know the force has this life and you just you you're reverent to it you're tuning into that um, but there are if you are a nature um, god god of nature then your priests should be druids, is the idea of that. So I, I say, if you don't have the Celtic gods, they would worship uh, nature. If you had the Celtic gods, then they would worship them and they would be druids. That's, that's how I would I would prescribe that. And so that's the issue. You make these generic classes that try to handle everything, but then they're usually from, I'm sure the druids came from the Celtic kind of you mm-hmm. know, right. idea or the barbarian types from Northern Europe and from Wales and, and from Scotland, you know, from that pre, uh, pre-Christian uh, time in the, you know, between 5th and 10th centuries pagan worship. Um, but they took out the religious part and they just kept the character, just like the monk is, you know, whether we like it or not, he's a he's, he's David Carradine, you know, yeah. from Kung Fu. But they pulled it out of that, and then yeah. you know, then you're like, well, if you have that, well, then then use those features of it. Which again, monk is another one. They they have to be lawful. They don't have to be good, right. but they have to be lawful. Um, so, you know, they have to follow a code. Doesn't have to be a good code. They just have to follow the code with that. And then a, a real quick comment about divine intervention. We talked about that before. I mean, I remember back in the day. You know, I would laugh at people if they. Ask for divine intervention, but you know, rereading the Deities and Demigods book, I think there's an indication in there that if you've been if you've been pious, I think there's about about a five percent base chance that if right. you haven't asked before, something like that, five percent chance that if you pray for help and aid, 
you will be sent. But I think it's like a small animal or is that an animal? Some, something. Yeah. yeah, the deity don't. It's not a five percent chance that you know that Odin is going to appear, but there is a five percent chance that maybe I don't know a large badger or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I can. Uh, will appear to have a small Viking will appear. A small Viking, yeah, I know. Um, so, um, it, but that's still amazing. I mean, if you think about yeah. uh, uh, and, and if. You know, five percent chance. How many how many followers does you know deity have for that to respond? That's right. And and so here's the point. So look, I, I've always believed that players should use the rules as best they can because you know DMs are over here right. graphing your alignment, trying to take your ten thousand gold pieces and per level per level, and say you're no longer a paladin. And if they're doing that, it's only fair that you use the rules to your advantage. And so I think if you're about to die, and you've got a deity, and you got a five percent chance of some aid. Make that roll. And so a quick shout-out to Vic Dorso, who, uh, you know, I go through his games at GaryCon, and, and he ran a game for our, our Gargnards Guild down here. I was going through his game at GaryCon, and, you know, as you would expect, yeah, you've been through this game with Vic Dorso. Things were not going well, no. of course. It's now like 0-14 yeah. or something uh, of players. And, at uh, some point... <laughs> Is it the players? That's all I have to say. Yeah, exactly. Right when it, when it, when it's like over fourteen, you start to wonder. Right, um, it's like the Kobayashi Maru. There is no. It's it, you're you're not supposed to. Everyone's supposed to fail. Right, time, which is fine. I I had a good time. But so I said so at the very end of whatever we're all dying or whatever, or or, or not continuing. I came. I asked. I wanted. I think I asked to to have divine intervention. I wanted to roll. You know what I rolled? Six. Oh. Oh. I mean, it wouldn't have been. It would have been like you know. I'm sure it would have been a giant rat. Well, I think it was five is the base chance, but he could have adjusted it. You know, if you were particularly pious. Yeah, I guess that didn't happen. Yeah. So. Well, you know, it's 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 hard to have demonstrated piety in a con game, right? You know, right. you've been there for like three hours. That's right. <laughs> Before I got here, I was so pious. I'll never forget. So a couple of years ago, at a Gary Con game, it was just a pickup game actually on Wednesday night. I played the cleric, and we got to this place, and they said, "Okay, well, what do you guys do?" I said, and, "Oh, well, is that a temple or something?" He's like, "Yes." Yeah. Like, "Oh, I go over there and I pray or whatever." And I mentioned this to you before. He said, "Wow, you're the most clericy cleric I've ever seen." And the problem with that is, I prayed once. That's right. <laughs> you know, you know, players are not having their clerics pray a lot when praying once. I'm like the most cleric cleric he's ever seen. Exactly. Other than, oh, I pray in the morning to get my spells. Right. Everyone prays then. Right. That's easy. Come That's on, right. man. Yeah. I mean... You're just crossing... The, you're just getting over the bar. You yeah, you, right. You just want the spells. But you need to pray when you're not asking for spells. That's when you're a real cleric. Right. And proselytizing. I think, we, you know what, we've tried to start doing that yeah. as well. And I've appreciated when you've allowed my insanity, you know, basically with Dionysus, it's like a big drinking fest where I'm trying to convert followers to that, so. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, so if one of your characters selects Dionysus as their patron deity, my friend, you need to read up on that, because you need to be prepared, yeah, because it's pretty much, it's, yeah, that's, it's, it's a. Just drinking and debauchery, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, what, wild kind of. Almost strangely, maybe like almost mildly alignment swings in the sense that right. right, it's both the the joy and I shouldn't maybe say alignment mood swings, the joy and happiness that comes from drinking, but also sort of the the right. bad side that can come from drinking. Yeah, You're yeah. both a good drunk and a bad drunk kind of you thing. You could be both at the same time, and that's the uh, that's so. If you want to not care about alignment as much, yeah, just drink a whole bunch. You know, and that's you know that's an interesting topic because it does talk about magic alignment changes and that. The punishment is less for that. It's still punishment, 
but if you uh, so if you if there's helms of changing alignment or something changes your alignment, if you switch back, you don't have to pay the the penalty, the the, the atonement. You you just need to get back. So I wonder, you know, does insanity? I know if you look in the insanity rules, it talks about how your alignment can switch when you you know you basically have multiple personality. So uh, if you want to have multiple alignments, just say you're insane and uh, do. Well, do you know, in the campaign, which might not be continuing, but in the campaign that I was just running, unbeknownst to you guys, there was a character with split personality and split alignments. So, yeah, there you go. That was perfect. So, I think uh, we've covered alignment pretty well. Um, You know, I... It's an enigma, it's, but it's part of the game. I think it's a very valuable game. It requires, in my opinion, players who want to take it seriously and they put them to work to figure out what their alignment means and then hold them accountable. Because if I think the, when there's misalignment, that's when there's a challenge. When I think the lawful good paladin would not slaughter the kobolds and the player says he would... You find that out as you're playing, mm-hmm. as opposed to um, beforehand, which, which to me, um, because again, if you have those characters, you know, we talked about well, some, you know, uh, before. I think I was talking to uh, Smog and the Nog when I was talking to them at their thing about alignment. That's what makes the story interesting when you have these moral quandaries. If everyone's just a bunch of you know, morally relative people, there is no moral quandary. It's when you have that good character or even that evil character, um, you know, that, that tension that comes from, um, you know, how, how they're going to play that character. So... The noise I'm hearing, is that the grog line? I like the calls yeah. flooding in. You know, that's... Those, no, I think that's my phone. That's I your, didn't turn off my that's notification. Your phone. No, so. unfortunately, no one has called it's on not the, the grog line? No, no one's called on the grog line. Mm. I don't know why. That's. I would think people would want to call with that a lot. So, anything else from uh, alignment at this point? No. Okay. I think I'm good. So, uh, now we're going to move into our uh, suggestion uh, segment. Suggestion. And... Um, so my suggestion, and I hope you fail your save, is um, pick up an old book. I'm actually reading The Hobbit again. I was at a, uh, I, I go to Goodwills. I'd seen online that, hey, you can get some good books. And I actually found a number of uh, first edition R.A. Salvatore books from the 90s that were there. And anyway, there was a Hobbit paperback from the 80s. And I was like, you know, I haven't. I don't think I ever read the whole Hobbit. I think I read half of it. Oh, like, really? Yeah. Oh. So uh, you read Lord of the Rings, right? I have. Okay. Well, I read. I definitely read the second and third one. The first one we we had at school that was a required reading at seventh grade or eighth grade. Good for them. Oh, it was painful. Really? The first. The Fellowship. It's painful. That's my favorite. Oh my god! Wow. Okay. Okay, really? you should read that again. Okay, so my suggestion is Dan should read that again, all eight hundred pages. I stop in I stop in two towers. I did just reread the Fellowship, and then I got into two towers, and I started to get a little bored. Two Towers is the best book. There's fighting. The whole time is fighting. They fight. There's uh, two see, towers. I want to like hang out at Rivendell and stuff like that. I don't, I just I don't stay, remember. I wish it just ended when they just stayed at Rivendell and enjoyed <laughs> the time. You know, eat, and, eat and elf just, cakes and or just something. wait for the Nel- Nazgul to come and, and take the ring from them. No, no, we're just gonna go to the west or whatever, and you know, and they will just flee. 
It will go across the, the ocean. Yeah, and at see, that that's why I'm sure. I'm sure if, if the one or two listeners we have would be screaming right now that you know I don't. I never understood why the elves were leaving without the. Did they think Sauron was not going to go take over the whole world? He'd only take over Middle Earth, I guess. Apparently, his his ring. Of they had an agreement. I think. Yeah, I think. Um, so yeah, they, they they would announce peace in our time, and they were going to leave. <laughs> like Chamberlain, who's yeah. got. <laughs> Elrond's got his paper. He's Are you on. saying that'd be a mistake for the elves to do to believe Sauron? Peace in our time well, I, and, and there must be something because there's lots of material written it, that was the part I never understood I can't now I can't believe the Gronk line is not lighting up because you know that there's people out there that would be no, like I'll more. tell you exactly why right you know yeah the, the, I, that's the part I never said what do you mean you're leaving is if he gets the ring isn't he going to Put darkness all over the whole world. How, he's only going to do part of the world. Well, so. I assume I assume we're not going to talk about why they don't just give the ring to the eagles and drop it in, right? Well, I mean, is that are we far well, off from the that conversation? The problem with that is clearly the eagle lord, the lord of the eagles, which again is in in the Hobbit. Yes, indeed. He would take the ring and become some vulture, the the falcon of death, if he did that. Yeah, and if I'm the head of the eagles, I'm like, I'm sorry, you want me to do what? Right. Why? I no, I don't think so. And you know. Anyway, the Nazgul are going to be waiting there, right? Right. With, with their steeds and, 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 and stuff. And so I don't know that it's that great of a plan. You better be pretty confident that, you know, it's just, so a huge eagle comes flying. And when the eagle comes in at the end mm-hmm. to save Frodo and Sam, right? I mean, all, you know, things are disaster and more at that point anyway, right? They're right. battling, they're distracted. Yeah. But, you know, ordinarily just sending an eagle in, that might be obvious, right? right Can exactly. you just have a giant eagle fly into Mordor? You don't think Sauron's going to notice that? And well, when, when didn't that happen after they blew up the ring? I thought the ring was destroyed. Yeah, that's right. It was. So yeah, Sauron that's was right. Dead, Sauron's right? gone anyway. Yeah, right? He's gone. There is all game over at that point. Well, but that's right. The but the plan was should have been they should have had a bunch of eagles with a bunch of hobbits on them, and all flying towards Mount Doom because there's only nine Nazgul. Right? Oh, so which one's got it? Right. And they would just kind of shift around. They could take eight of them out, but they couldn't. And they should put cloaks, large cloaks of displacement <laughs> on them, right? On. <laughs> we got to get the magic users involved. Somebody right. someone said that Gandalf, honestly, would be like a six-level magic. Like, you know, right. things have gotten out of control in D&D with the levels. And he's actually like, like only like six-level or yeah, something I mean, like that. What, but, he doesn't blow anything. I mean, well, except for fighting a, a, a whatever type six, whatever, yeah. that, that, the Balrog, whatever yeah. kind of... He fights him hand to hand. True, but you know, I know. But at the end, he that they uh, uh, the Balrog rolled a twenty. Would you agree that that was a twenty on mm-hmm. that whip coming up there? Is yeah, that that's a twenty. That's got to be if you're using critical hits. Yeah, yeah, that's a twenty, right? right. So that, that so, was a bad. I don't know how he's a six level. He's this is this is how this goes, don't you think? Mm-hmm. All right, magic user. Yeah, you did your spell. The the the, the bridge is collapsing. Let me roll for the Balrog. He's gonna fall. Why are you rolling? We'll just see if he falls. I'm collapsing the whole bridge. He's going to... I'm going to give him a dex check. Right. Okay, I don't think... I don't care what his dex is. I don't think... He, I'm giving him a dex check. Right. rolls behind the screen. All right, he failed. Balrog's going down. All right, yay. All right, wait, wait, wait. Balrog's doing one last attack. That's what right. do you mean Balrog's doing one last attack? He's falling down. He can't do an attack. No, no, he gets a roll. That's right. That's, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll roll it in the open. All right? He rolls his authority. Right. <laughs> He's got your leg. What the? You know, crazy. That would be like, yeah, we, I would not. That player would be really angry, don't you think? Well, yeah, and if you watch in the movie, I don't know how, you know. He's got to be higher than six level because he holds 
the there's a Balrog holding on, holding him. He's falling, descending, yeah. and he's holding like this with a Balrog. That's impossible. So I assume. Oh yeah, he was not over the edge. I think in the book was. Yeah. Well, I don't how know. would you know? You skipped Fellowship. No, I, I skipped the beginning part with all the stories and the singing and all that part. There's 300 pages of just. It's important. Gibber jab. The relationship of you know that Rose with Sam likes Rose. Yeah. And Tom you know, Bumblebee, whatever. Oh Bob. no, I love Bombadil. Are uh, you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I want to run a Bunnies and Burrows adventure in the old forest. Okay. You know? Oh, what no. What was that? Why? Bombadil. He's above it. Bombadil is the coolest guy. He's above it all. Mm-hmm. Name the ring bears. Now, I don't know what constitutes a bear. Can you name the ring bears? You know who would be on that list? Tom Bombadil. Mm-hmm. Isn't Tom Bombadil a ring bear? He tosses the ring. He, put, he is a ring bear. He puts the ring on and he doesn't turn invisible. Interesting. I didn't, he, I didn't know that. Oh, he has more. Oh, yeah, I love Bombadil. Love Bombadil. These are the three. So the places that I, Rivendell number one, where I want to retire to. I want to start a bed and breakfast based on Rivendell. Rivendell yeah, number Airbnb, one. Yeah. Probably Bjorn's place. Love the bees. Mm-hmm. And you probably hate all these places. And um, and then no, uh, because Bjorn, Bombadil. Because Bjorn's place Goldberg. was about six pages. That's the only thing I like about The Hobbit. It's like, <laughs> I, you know, they made four movies. I'm like, and now I'm thinking, oh, that's, that's, why, that's why I re- that's why I didn't watch all the movies. Oh, but, I'll um, I'm like, oh, Bjorn's place. Okay, great. It's six pages. It's not. Yeah, it's true. Four hundred yeah, pages of this mm-hmm. and that. I care about Nazgul attacking. I mean, I was thirteen when I read. it. I may read it again. You know, and that'll be a good book to take on vacation. You're hacking slash. I'm role play. So I like. I like oh, Riffin here down. we go. Yeah, yeah, I don't know about that. Oh, I, I, there's role play and there's exposition, which uh, apparently you like that. So, but <laughs> droning poetry. That's right. Yeah. I did skip. I will tell you, I did skip the songs. And the poetry. Okay, yes. that's half well, the book. That is a lot of it because you don't even know what's going on. Right. You know, you'd have to get you know the forgotten tale. You really, but there are people like that, right? They read these. I'm not saying it's bad. I just said for me, I'm not. I'm not judging people. Anyway, The Hobbit. I'm reading it, and it's really good. It's it, it is good. It because again, part of that is reminding us of where some of these these tropes come from. And I think, you know, Appendix N in the Dungeon Master's Guide, I'm going to try to, I don't know if it's a bucket list thing, but I'm going to try to go through oh, yeah, where is it? Appendix N. Yeah, I was looking for that. No, you're absolutely right. I love The Hobbit. I think The, Ho- so, the Hobbit's so, a great adventure. It would be a great D&D adventure, right. wouldn't it, The Hobbit? Yeah, and, there's, and you know, um, still there are parts like, you know, Gandalf saves them a number of times, and, and that whole interaction with uh, how he got the ring, that was, again, very... Very compelling stuff. We had a riddle game at, at GaryCon. There's a riddle game, and we had to give riddles. And, you know, obviously what you have to say is what's in my pocket. Right. Right? But no one did. But, that would but uh, you know, it reminds us of how elves, because, we, you know, we we move so far away from the, you know, we have these stereotypes of the things. We forget the, some of the original source, and that the elves are these very weird, ethereal, te- uh non-temporal creatures that kind of phase in and out that you read when you read The Hobbit and then later with Lord of the Rings. You know, we tend to make them very generic kind of mm-hmm. demi So I think that's where some of this can be helpful because you can, um, you know, how, how does a character, how does even the player character 
deal with the fact that they can live to a thousand years and they're only you know first level yeah uh, yeah no, that is yeah that is unusual and it also reminds us of the elf dwarf tension for example right. so I think a lot of players in the games they do not play out the tension right. that exists between different demi humans so you know you've got an elf and a dwarf in a party I feel like there should be a little bit of tension have fun with it right I mean there should be a little of that legless gimli business going yeah. on where at first you don't trust each other and fine you can become best buds no problem but that should be played out a little bit you know you have an elf and a half orc in the same party or a dwarf and a half orc there might be a little bit of tension there should there, be a lot think. of tension regardless it's uh it should be that so that's my suggestion and that's a great suggestion so I, I'm I'm finishing the the Hobbit, and again you can get that at your local thing, and I'm going to go through Appendix N. Is is the goal, and you know I uh, I've not read the Vance books, which are which the spell casting is mostly right. based on, and you know Conan for that pulp fiction, and there's a number of books on there. Yeah, well, I just bought Conan, so if you want to borrow, let me know. Oh, good. Come to that. Okay, I bought Conan because I read, and that's my suggestion. You. You uh, decided to do a book, and I thought that was a great idea, so I'll do the same, because I've been reading uh, Fritz Lieber, Fafford, and oh, okay. Grey Mouser. I've read that. So have you read that? I have. It, I wasn't a huge fan initially, but uh, I read it again, and then I liked it some more. So. Well, what I liked about it was the only... I, I'm not a big fan. I don't, I don't read a lot of fiction. I, I liked to read history uh, when I was younger. I think the reason Lord of the Rings appealed to me is almost... It was written as a history, you know? And so it was, one of the non it was one of the fiction books that I really, really liked. I mean, I loved it. And, uh, you know, I got all the maps, I got the Atlas. If you're going to read, if you're going to read The Lord of the Rings, I highly recommend that you get the Atlas of Middle-Earth, because one of the things I struggled with when I read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings was, wait, and I know there's a little map, but the Atlas of Middle-Earth is really nice, because it goes into a lot more detail, and you really understand where you are, where the, where, where, where the character, where, it's not where you are, and it's not where the player characters are, right. where, where the uh, characters... Where the story is at that point. Exactly. Yeah. So I would, I'm going to recommend Fafrin Greymouth, so what I really liked about reading it now is how much it reminded me of D&D. Yeah. So I, I tend to think that there's two kinds of D&D games, and I'm sure this is a massive oversimplification, which is that there's sort of the Lord of the Rings, the big high and mighty campaign, yeah. right? We're all good characters. We're out to save the world. There's a quest. There's a quest. Um, and, you know, the DM is the likes to build the world and the campaign and is on board with all that. And that, to me, is like Lord of the Rings. Then, you know, what I was used to, though, was more, you know, back in the day, is it was not that. It was more, okay, you're just out to find gold. Um, and, you know, I think Gygax talks about this, too, at times, right? Which is, you know, your typical adventuring party is, you know, you're out to... Find money, find gold. Yeah, and, and locusts scrolling gold yeah. from town to town. And, yeah, and you kill bad things in large part because, well, they've got gold and it's okay to kill bad things. So, you know, let's kill the bad things and take their gold. And no one apparently has a real problem with this in, exactly. in civilized society. Uh, and that reminded when I read, and, and so it was, I was always, a lot of me was like, well, wait, shouldn't we be playing this like Lord of the Rings? I want big battles and campaigns, and that's not what I'm getting. You know, this is back in the 80s when I was playing. And then I read, recently started to pick up Fafford and Grey Mouse, and I realized, oh, I get it. Right. You know, Fafford and Grey Mouse are, the, I think, the, on the back of the book, it refers to them as, you know, the anti-heroes. And, you know, I don't know. Look, I've only read, like, about, you know, I mean, I've read probably, like, about 20 of the short stories so far. But, you know, they don't seem to be, like, really bad guys. Right. 
But and I think in Deities and Demigods, one's neutral and one's good. But they are sort of just two guys out on their own, exactly. wandering around, looking for treasure, stumbling into adventures. And so what I, you know, if your only exposure to fantasy is the Lord of the Rings and you're playing D&D, I encourage you to read Fafford and Greymouser because you'll say, ah, okay, now I get it. This is what a lot of the D&D games are meant to be. And I think once I started reading, you know, your, your party was very chaotic, neutral, in large part. And I think when I start, when once I started reading Fafnir and Greymouser, I became a lot more okay with that, because I'm like, okay, this is more of a Fafnir and Greymouser campaign. I shouldn't be expecting this to be a Lord of the Rings campaign. Right. These guys want Fafnir and Greymouser, and that's, that's a very accepted way to do it. Very good. Well, with that, um, so, you know, uh, again, we're looking at uh, GrogCon at Crucible, which is coming up in October. Um, this shenanigans is on YouTube. Obviously, if you're watching it streaming, we're also on uh, Twitter at Grog Talk. Website is grogcon.com. We're on Google Play and iTunes, Grog Talk. Uh, still looking for pictures if you want to replace our lovely uh, non-green screen here, which I got working again, which I'm very excited about. Uh, future items. I think at some point, again, I don't, I don't, we're going to have to talk about how much... You know, I know a lot of people go really deep into first edition as far as going over monsters and this and that. I think we may do a little bit of it, but I think we need to decide, you know, to get in prepare, preparation for GrogCon, maybe we want to talk about some other systems that we're going to talk about. So I'm thinking possibly a paranoia that should come up in the next few weeks, because I know you and I both played that. Indeed. And uh, that's something that we definitely will be playing. And um, I think over the next few months... We're going to try to highlight a couple of games. But there may be a couple other topics. I think definitely we still need to talk about how to start your own meetup. Because mm-hmm. I think you did a great job with that. And, and it's worked out very successfully. So I think people would appreciate that. Um, but leave comments if you want. If there's specific items that you want us to cover in first edition. Um, not to say we wouldn't come back here. But of course, you know, Dan's also. I also want to talk about basic. Uh, the various incarnations of that. Since Dan is... I think he's now experienced first edition. It's like, oh, maybe basic would be better for me. I'm looking to branch out. Yeah, this uh, yeah, first edition is it, it's a bit of rules overload at times for me. But I mean, I think I'll be back. I think I just need, you know, need to break from all these rules. So right. a there's, lot of rules. There's a lot of rules, which uh, um, it's good and bad as long as you know. It, my, it shouldn't be a burden. My wife, so my wife, so, you know, I, I used to play war games, and I bought a war game again, I liked to, to play it, and, you know, and we were playing, actually, she played Kingmaker, we played, I don't know if you remember the game Kingmaker. Mm-hmm. Oh, Kingmaker's a wonderful game, it's about the War of the Roses, mm-hmm. and it's about four pages of rules, and she thought that was a lot, yeah. you know, because she's used to, you know, Monopoly or something like that, you know, it's literally, the rules are on just like a little box thing or whatever, right. you know, and so just four pages was a lot, um... And then you see some of these war games are like going to be like sixteen pages, and that's a lot. And then you look at first edition D and D. I mean, I think for people who don't play games like this, the idea that these are the rules is these are these are just the core rules. It's just the core rules. These are not the rules. These are just the rules. Can you think? Can you think of any other game? Other than, say, first edition, I'm sure this is true. Probably m- many role playing games now, but particularly first edition, where how many, how many years are we going on now with first edition? So it's basically what, like seventy seven or something like yeah, that, 40 right? Plus, yeah, forty plus years, where there's still people who knows all of the rules, right? That new you learn new rules all the time, 
and people will debate the rules. What's that all about? You know, that that's I think very unusual for a game. And so that that's you know, I I think that at times can in all honesty that can get a little bit frustrating. I guess you gotta be okay with it, right? And not have an issue with it. Well that goes back to when we first started, which is start with the rules that you know and build as you see fit as the group is. And um and that's why I think some of the throwback to because I think it, this was bad. Second and third edition went even more, and fourth edition had dozens of books. I mean, there's in, in a shorter amount of time. I've, I've looked at how many books those editions have, and I think you know what happens is there's a re- every edition there's a reset. They get down to the core rules. Um, it's very simple, simplish most of the time, and then two things happen: power creep. And people wanting more definitions of things. They don't they're not comfortable with adjudicating their own rules. And so by the end of this edition, whatever it is, it's full of all this content and it's just overwrought with a bunch of stuff. You know, and that's an example of I think these three books have pretty much everything you need, but then there are still questions and people are like, Well, I don't I don't know, I don't want to adjudicate it myself and so then we got more. Yeah, and, more. and what and, and I guess it's probably another whole conversation, which is that there's simply too many rules. Which is that, you know, if if you're a DM, do you really want to spend a large part of the game debating rules? Right. And that, you know, that's it, it, to me, it's it's a buzz killer. It slows things down. It, you know, as as the DM, I view it as like you're almost a teacher. You want to be in control of the session, uh, and you don't want you wouldn't want your students in your class continually debating with you whether you're right or not and, and looking up in the textbook during class, calling you out whether you're wrong. That wouldn't be a lot of fun. And you know, I, and you've mentioned this before. I think this was your point that you've made to me, which I think was a good one, which was back in the day, you know, people, you know, the, not all the players had the DMG. And, and I don't know, it was just... I could be wrong. I'm sure there's a lot of rules lawyers back in the 80s, too. But I think when we were in junior high in the 80s, it wasn't that – there wasn't this sense of finding the rule and showing right. – it was whatever the DM said and it was all good. And everyone had so many house rules anyway. We didn't even know what the rules were. People were using a hodgepodge of basic and advanced. And I don't know. I just – to me, I don't remember such a big emphasis on nitpicking all these rules. So I may, maybe I'm just viewing the past with rose-colored glasses. I, I, well, that definitely is a podcast, Expectations versus Reality. I think what happened was one or two people learned the rules. The rest of the people had no idea what yeah. the rules were. So you didn't have this, and there was no internet that someone could go like today, uh, you know, who played third base for the White Sox in right. 1985? You could look it up. You didn't have that. You're just like, mm, I have no idea. That's kind of how it was when we played. We didn't have outside references. They here were the books. You weren't supposed to look at certain books. The guy who was or the gal who was the DM was. They had spent the time. They had spent the effort to learn it as best they could. Everyone else uh, usually was not as familiar with that. And I think which is... Or then, I, I'm sorry, one more. Yeah. Okay. So once that person learned it, yeah. that's how the group learned it. So if I right. was the DM and I took the first effort, we played the game that way. Then when you started, you didn't read the rules again. You just played the way we played. I can't tell you how Do many you know people... I'm I know I'm serious saying. How many people online will say things like, oh, I thought that was a rule. That's what we always did. How many people yeah. now are learning the things that they did? Like, you know, so many people think, for example, 20 is double damage. Right. And that's not a rule. Exactly. And that's a total house rule. So, yeah, people, 
there wasn't, you didn't really, I don't think there was a lot of thought about is this a house rule or not. This, this concept of buy the book, and look, I'm as guilty as anybody because I played, I want to play the last campaign is buy the book. Right, I wouldn't uh, know that. Right, you wouldn't know that. I tried to play by that, and I and I was very encouraging. I just said you may you may struggle with this. That's all. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I think that well well part of it was the fact that there had been so many different editions too, and what I was seeing was editions rules from other editions coming in. It was being a hodgepodge, and really yeah. my goal was. I wanted to keep it more 1E. Right. Um, and, and I so, think you did a very good job of it. Thank you. And yeah, and then I thought the best way to do that was, well, look, let's just go buy the book. Um, but back in the day, it was, yeah, I don't think, you know, no one was complaining that 20 was a double damage and Gygax said you don't have critical hits. We didn't care. Um and I and I think it's it's just sort of it, it's I don't know it seems to me like it's it's gotten much more is emphasis on buy the book which again is coming from somebody who just tried to play the buy the book campaign. Well, and it's again I think the issue is we you everyone learned to play by watching someone else, and you got a, a permutation of the of the game based on whoever read it the first and. And if you didn't go to conventions and you weren't really that plugged into it, again, conventions were few and far between, where I, at least where I live. Yeah. Well, um, well and, and when you're in junior high, yeah. something like if, if you live in Orlando, Jacksonville is very far away because right. you can't ride your bike there. Right, exactly. So you're not going there. I, I, in New York, I went to one time to a convention, and we generally played, but there was changes, and you, and you just assumed, okay, this is how they're playing. Not yeah. that it was right or wrong, um, but yeah, you took these books, you made a copy of it, you made your permutation, and that's what your group played with. And I think that's what caused some of the, you know, that's always the push-pull of how do you get the game to continue to move forward, because then people only learn how to play their way, and then if they go to try, some people are, oh, I don't want to go, I don't want to learn a new way, so, um, that's always been the tension, I think, because D&D, original, had so many house rules. They're like, oh, we got to codify it so that when people go to conventions and when they go here, they can understand the same language, but then you get overwhelmed with it, then it goes back and forth. So, um, yeah, we didn't have those issues. We Someone learned the rules. Um, they We played it their way, and, um, you know, or... or Someone be like, okay, I read the rules and this is what I'm going to do, and I said, okay, cool, you know, and they just kind of accepted that was the version of it. it. wasn't like, well, no, we can't do that here. And I think I think that it's good. And we talked about this before too. It's good for players to DM periodically and DMs to play periodically. Yep. So you see it from both sides of the screen because I think if you're a player and then you DM periodically. You will have more sympathy, and and, and may, you know you probably have less of an inclination to be a big time rules lawyer because you understand, for the DM that's usually not a lot of fun if it's happening too much. Right. And as a DM, if you play periodically, then you get a sense of how difficult it is to be a player. I think it's very hard to yeah. be a good player, and 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 to sort of give players a break when they want to do something that's sort of like you know, cool. You know, but maybe a little bit out of the box, and the rules don't cover it. Give them a shot. Let them do it because you don't want to discourage them from trying to do interesting things. You want to reward players for those sorts of things. Exactly. Well, with that, I think this is a good stopping point. So I'm James. I'm Dan. Thanks again for this week of Grog Talk, and we'll see you next week. Take care. This is Big Opposition Production. All rights reserved.